Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Telling that story really helps resonate with my audience because a lot of my audience are also young moms who you know, might have a small hobby business. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to refine your Facebook ad copy, why you should use Facebook ads to tell your personal story, and how to grow your storage subscription program. Today, I'm joined by Alana Banks from FridaysOff.ca. That's F-R-I-D-A-Y-S-O-F-F.ca. Friday's Off is a Canadian online fabric shop based in Toronto that sells high-quality 100% cotton designer fabrics for quilters, home decorators, and the budding sewer, and was started in 2013. Welcome, Alana. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, tell us a bit more about your store, and what are some of the more popular products that you sell? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, um, it's an online fabric store. Um, I primarily just carry 100% quilting cotton that are premium quality designer um, fabrics that you you couldn't find. Like our local fabric land or fabricville in Canada is kind of like the mass produced fabric, but this mm-hmm. is sort of like more boutique style kind of fabric. So very niche, as you can imagine. Um, so that's what the online shop is, and I can't remember the next question you asked. Oh uh, yeah, no, I guess um that that answered my question. Uh, so what's your oh, okay. background? How how did you get into this uh, this industry, this space? So it's it. I wish it was like more of a kind of like romantic story, <laughs> um, but it all kind of just happens very organically for me. Um, I had a career in public relations for about ten years. And um, I was just kind of feeling burnt out and uninspired and um, not really loving my job. And I ended up at that sort of time, I was pregnant um, with my son, which is like six years ago now. And um, I really wanted to start thinking of other things I could do. So I started a blog, which was called Fridays Off, um, which was just basically like ramblings about, you know, different kinds of hobbies that I had that could that I would do if I had Fridays off or mm. if I had more free time. And that um, was sort of like cooking and baking and sewing projects and that type of thing. Um, and then I really kind of like took that seriously when I was on my maternity leave. Um, and then I went back to work and I was just really not feeling it anymore. I loved being at home with my son and having that kind of quality time with him. Mm-hmm. So I was really looking for outlets to um, start my own thing. Um, and I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial drive. So I, um, I just kind of started brainstorming stuff and couldn't think of anything. And I got pregnant again and I had another baby. Um, but during that pregnancy with my second son was when I decided that I was just going to start the store. I already had the domain name. I decided I would stick with that. Um, and it just kind of came to me like out of the blue. Um, I was buying fabrics online from the U.S. and it was expensive and I wasn't really qualifying for any kind of like discounts or free shipping promotions, stuff like that. Um, so I just 
thought, why don't I start this in Canada? Because we didn't really have, I didn't have much competition at the time. Um, so I kind of just leapt in without even thinking about it. I was working full time. I was pregnant. I was also teaching a course at a community college. Um, so I was really, really busy, but um, I just kind of like worked it in here and there. And um, then when I went off on a maternity leave, that's when I kind of really started to put more focus on it because I had the time I wasn't working. And that's kind of how it all happened. Yeah, so you mentioned that you were blogging out about a bunch of different things at the time, about you know, what you would do with your time off, if you had Fridays off. What made you choose, um, I guess, the fabric industry specifically, if you were kind of you know dabbling in so many different industries? Yeah, um, well, I was sewing at the time, um, and I was taking some courses locally at a quilt shop, like a boutique quilt shop. Um, that carried some nicer fabrics. Um, and so I just, I loved being surrounded by the fabric and I thought that it was a really cool concept, but didn't want to actually have a store. Mm-hmm. And my husband is um, like really involved in the like sort of online work. He works for Zynga. Um, so I kind of, you know, we would have conversations at night, you know, talking about like e-commerce. It was just something that was like part of my life, I guess, like online um, type of businesses. So um, we, or not we, but I just thought, why don't I start doing this in Canada? Like it just sort of was like, it was like a poof moment. Like it just happened very, mm-hmm. very randomly for me. Now, was the the blog generating a good deal of traffic at the time? How much did it help you out when you launched your business? Um, It was like, it was mediocre. I mean, I had a bit of a following. Um, I can't even remember now. So it feels like such a long time ago. But I definitely had a bit of a presence online to begin with. And I had my own Facebook page that was linked to my blog. Um. So I was getting a lot of traction. I don't know how many of those people reading my blog were strangers versus like just sort of my community of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely helped in terms of like already having a presence and having that Friday's off name out there, um, being online and just having my my name, uh, like Alana Banks out there as well. Mm -hmm. Like that, it helped my... Um, search engine optimization um, and it was like a, a launching platform for me as well um, but that's kind of when my blogging days ended because the way my site worked out was because I used my domain for my Shopify store um, it kind of changed the trajectory of my blog mm-hmm. um, I also didn't have time to do the blogging anymore which is something that I you know I have goals that include getting back into blogging that would probably focus more on sewing and fabric and textiles and that type of thing. But right now I don't. So, um, but yeah, definitely having that web presence helps sort of launch things. Right. So you're already kind of in the groove of being online already. You already had your name out there for a bit, which helped with the, I guess, the age of the data, which helps with SEO. Um, now, did mm-hmm. you, do you remember how you launched the, the, the store, 
to to your blog audience? Did you just kind of have a hard cut off where the blog no longer existed, now the store exists, or did you have some kind of um, idea on how you wanted to introduce your your you know small but but definitely a good start audience uh, to your new store? Yeah, so it was basically like a hard stop with the blog. Um, just because of the domain situation, that was like mm-hmm. the most difficult part for me because I, I wasn't real. I didn't really know what I was doing um, in terms of like changing all of that over. And it was very stressful for me because I was really into my blog and I was so accustomed to writing several posts a week that it was kind of like, it was scary for me to cut it off. And then I, all of a sudden I had this store that was, the, now the place where people were directed to when they wanted to come see my blog. And then it ended up linking to the word, cause it was a WordPress blog. I ended up linking to it through my Shopify store, but it was very convoluted the way you had to kind of get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it, I, I basically just sort of wrote a blog post about it and then post that on my Facebook and my Fridays off Facebook and then got friends to, blast that out as well um but I didn't really have like uh, an outlet where I could broadcast it yeah. necessarily like <laughs> loud yeah well, I like how you weren't afraid though to just kind of uh, cut it cut actually cut off what you were doing before and start something new I think a lot of times uh entrepreneurs will hold on to whatever they have and be afraid to kind of make this switch, make this transition to something else that could be much better. But we're just so familiar with, you know, what we have already that we want to hold on to. So I like that you're able to uh, you know, step up and say, hey, I'm going to cut this off and start something something new and launch the store. So what was like the, the first mm-hmm. step then towards creating this business? Once you had that store live, did you already have inventory? Like what was going on at the time that the store launched? Yes. So I did have a bit of inventory. So it was a bit of, it was about a six month lead time from actually like coming up with the idea and then launching the actual store. Um, because I carry all of my inventory, um, like I work out of my home. So all of the stuff that you see on my site is all in my home. So I had to start off by purchasing an inventory so that, um, there was a lot of research up front. Um, when I kind of came up with the idea. So I came up with the idea and then I started researching like manufacturers of the type of fabric that I wanted to carry. And then I, I from there I had to find the Canadian distributors and then I had to find the like Southern Ontario sales reps for those distribute distribution centers. Um, so that took a lot of research and then I had to actually, you know, email all these people and, pitch myself and say like, I'm not a legit business yet, but I'd love to meet with you. Um, I had to get like a GST number, which is, um, I don't know what it would be equivalent to that in the U S but it's basically like you're a registered business. Mm -hmm. EIN in the U S. Yeah. So I had to go through that whole process to get that number because, um, because I'm buying wholesale, they require, um, like a registered business number. And then it was like researching, okay, what kind of platform am I going to use? I already had a WordPress blog going, but I didn't really feel that it had um, the best functionality for like an e-commerce site. So that's when I was introduced to Shopify and um, they seemed like the best option to go with. And I've always been like a big advocate of Shopify. Um, 
since the beginning of my store and I still love it. So, um, you know, I had to do that research to get into that and then like building my site and my theme and figuring all that out. So it was a lot of, a lot of work, um, before I actually did launch. So I probably came up with the idea like in September of 20, uh, 2012. And then I launched March 1st, 2013. So, and at that time I had tons of, like I didn't have tons, but I had a very small inventory of fabric to start selling. Nice. Now you mentioned that you, when you're reaching out to these distribution centers, this, these distributors, you said to them, "Hey, I'm not a legit business yet. I don't have anything, you know, tons of revenue yet, but I'd still like to meet with you." Was that well received? Like, the people were people willing to meet with you even though you didn't have anything, uh, you know, fully going just yet? Yeah, the response that I got was was very positive. Um, I I started off small because I didn't have a ton of money to invest. Um, basically I was just using whatever I had extra, um, like, and putting it on credit card and stuff like that. So I only met with, um, one sales rep to begin with, uh, despite going after several others. Um, you know, they all got back to me willing to, to set up a meeting with me, but I just set up a meeting with one person and she almost became my like fabric shop mentor for whatever reason, we clicked right away. Nice. She'd been in the industry for a really long time. And like, she's probably like, I would now consider her, well, I consider her to be like a really great friend and like kind of business mentor in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a bit of a grueling process in terms of when I did meet with her finally, you know, she had a lot of questions like, are you sure this is going to work? Because she meets with tons of people who are like, right. Oh, I want to start a fabric shop online. And, then it never, it kind of just fizzled out, but I don't know. She must've seen something in me that showed some kind of determination and, um, um, the rest is kind of history, but like it, yeah, it was, um, it was a bit nerve wracking at first, but I was like, don't worry, I'm going to make this work. And, <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. So what, what were you looking to, to get out of those, those early meetings? Like what, what were you trying to, to learn or, or make progress with by meeting with these distributors? Yeah. So the, the fabric industry is much like the fashion industry where you're working months in advance. So for example, right now I'm buying um, all fabric that's going to be releasing in the summer. Um, so when I, when I had that initial meeting, I was looking for a things that were current, um, that I would be able to get in right away so that I could start building my inventory. And I was also looking for sale items because I didn't have a ton of money, um, to invest. So, um, I was looking to get the biggest bang for my buck, um, right out of the gate. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You mentioned too that one of the motivations for starting the business was because uh, for you as a consumer of fabric, it was very expensive to buy you know, from the U.S. or buy basically outside of Canada and have it sent to you in Canada. Did, did that mean that it was expensive for you to start up a business like this too? Like what's the difference between uh, as a consumer buying it uh, from you know, outside the Canada versus being a, a retailer that's buying this kind of uh, fabric? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it is pretty expensive because you're putting all of your money up front before you're actually getting paid. Um, but I mean, the wholesale, obviously the wholesale price is better. Unfortunately, the way um, 
the fabric industry works here is I'm buying, I'm buying in Canadian dollars, but the American dollar has a huge um, impact on the pricing. Um, and obviously right now the Canadian dollar is much lower than the American dollar. Can you say more about that? What, what, what is the, 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 I guess the two currencies, how does that affect your business? Well, all of the fabric is manufactured in the United States. So even though I'm buying in Canadian dollars, it's still an inflated price mm-hmm. because I'm paying like an American, um, like I'm paying, right, that makes I'm sense. not paying in, in American, but it's like American prices. Right. Um, so when I started, for example, the, the wholesale price for like a meter of fabric was like, I think it was $4.50 um, and it's increased to $8.95 to $9.50 a meter and that's wholesale. Wow. So it's insane like how much um, the prices have gone up in the last five years. Um, so, sorry, I can't remember what the question was. No, no, you, you answered my question about the, the reason why it's more expensive. Um, now, you mentioned that you had a career in public relations prior to starting this business. Did that experience help you launch your business or help you get, I guess, PR for your business? Big time, yeah. Um, and that was part of the reason why... Um, I think when I met with that first distributor, she had a lot of faith in me because I wasn't coming to her as, um, you know, someone who's really into sewing. I was coming into this as like a person from like a more of like a business perspective. Um, and sometimes what happens is like you have a real passion for something, but you don't have, you know, you might be really into sewing, but you don't have a lot of experience on the business side. Whereas mm-hmm. my experience in the kind of business side of things, doing communications and public relations campaigns for big companies um, for a long time uh, had like a, a huge impact on like launching the business. Cause I'd done lots of, you know, launches for different products and companies already. It was sort of like, I already knew what I was doing from that perspective. Um, for me, it was more like learning about e-commerce and that side of things that was difficult for me and just like running, running a business actually. Um, but in terms of like getting myself out there, um, I managed early on to get um, included in a story about online fabric stores in um, a magazine here in Canada called Style at Home, which is like a fairly decent sized, um, home decorating magazine. Uh, so that really kind of put me on the map, um, just generally giving mm-hmm. me a little bit of like, you know, like legitimize my business right. that I was like among, it was a, an article called material girls. And I was amongst like four other girls who also had online fabric stores. And it was sort of like this growing trend was this, the story um, that it was part of, so that worked out. Yeah, I think that's important that that PR is not just important for getting direct traffic to check out your your brand, check out your store, check out your site, but also like you're saying, legitimizes your brand, which opens up a lot of doors that would probably be closed off to you if there wasn't some kind of publication. But I guess kind of co-signing your your brand, co-signing your your store. Um, now, how did you identify which, or I guess in general, how do you identify which publications, which outlets you should be reaching out to? 
kind of bad. <laughs> I haven't done a lot of um, outreach actively out, you know, doing my own PR. Um, I did work with a couple of sewing bloggers mm-hmm. um, early on, and that was really helpful for me. Um, just getting online traffic, like the style at home article was great because it was like, Oh, I'm in a magazine. This is something that I can put on my, I can take a picture of and put on Facebook, but it didn't come. Um, it didn't go online for like several months after it appeared in the actual magazine. So that was a bit of a disappointment because when you have an online store and you read something in a magazine, it's, it's there's a bit of a disconnect there because mm-hmm. they can't just click. Right. Right. So um, while the style at home magazine was cool because I had that sort of on my shelf, I was like, I was in this great magazine. Um, I really wanted to kind of go after some bloggers. So I did a bit of research in terms of like Canadian bloggers um, that could write stuff about me. And that, that ended up being really helpful. I ended up commenting, like just sort of engaging with other blogs, like even in the U.S., um, I got put onto like a couple of lists of like cool online fabric stores or like Canadian online fabric store lists. So having my link, like having my URL um, in the blogosphere was really helpful in terms of just generating more traffic. Um, But in terms of like traditional sort of media outlets, I haven't really pushed that much for that just because I'm more interested in the online world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think that you touched on something important about how there's that kind of disconnect because people are you know reading a a physical magazine. They're not going to always remember to go check out your site later. But I think one of the biggest benefits, which you already touched on, is that legitimacy. And I think also by getting that feature in a publication, it makes it easier to get access or get featured again in other publications, maybe online this time. Um, Now, based on your experience, based on what you've read, what kind of mistakes do you see beginners making when it comes to, I guess, traditional or online PR? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know if I know of any mistakes. Um, Maybe reaching out. I think one mistake I made was... um, I did an interview with um, kind of like a local news, you know, online type of publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a bit too, I felt it was too premature. Like I should have waited a little bit um, because I really didn't have enough going on with my store um, when this mm-hmm. um, like interview appeared. So um, I think maybe just being a little, I was really eager. Like I'm just that way though. I'm kind of like fly by the seat of my pants. Like I get an idea and I want to go for it right away. So um, maybe just like a timing thing. Yeah. More of like a timing thing, like wait a little bit. And then I, I feel like if you wait a bit, you may reap better rewards mm-hmm. when it comes to doing PR early on. Could you lose out on those opportunities, though, if you don't take them right away based on your experience? I don't know. You know, yeah, I, I really I really can't say if, mm-hmm. we, if you're going to lose out, um, you know, or maybe just saying, like, not completely saying no to it, but just saying, I don't know if I'm ready now. Can we talk in, like, six mm-hmm. months or something like that, right? So, um like I certainly would never have, you know, this podcast 
is one that I've listened to almost from the beginning um, of the launch of my store. And I definitely would never have reached out to you if, you know, like I see you ask questions and stuff on Facebook, but um, when you just recently asked a question and then I responded to you on Facebook, I would never have done that probably a year ago, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, just because I feel like, you need to have a little bit more experience, but I don't know, like if, yeah. the, if the opportunity comes up then and you think that it's good for you at the time, then yeah. One thing that I realized when I did my style at home, um, when I was included in that style at home, they, they showed a picture um, of a fabric with my URL beside it. And like, I went through so many bolts of that fabric but I wasn't prepared for that sort of like onslaught of um, orders coming through. So I ended up having to like order like a ton more than I was expecting to. So that was one sort of, it was a, it was a good problem to have, but it was logistically kind of a bit of a nightmare for me because I was constantly having to order this bolt and then I had to get customers to wait because it wasn't available. And that was a bit of a, a downside for that. Maybe the balance that you'll have to strike here is that if someone or uh, an outlet reaches out to you and wants to feature you, uh, then maybe it makes sense to do it even if you don't feel like you're ready. But it might not be the best use of your time to be going out actively trying to get uh, get PR essentially early on. Mm-hmm. You should probably focus on, like you're saying, building up the store first, have a system in place to be ready for that kind of traffic, ready for the kind of sales that might result from this kind of feature. Because, you know, if you get featured once, you, they might not want to feature you again, not because the business doesn't make sense, but there's nothing, I guess, new, no new angle mm-hmm. that they want to to talk about. So I think there's definitely a value in in timing it right and not kind of jumping the gun and getting featured uh, too early, especially on the publications that you definitely want to be in, especially on from the bloggers that you definitely want to, to be working with, maybe save those for for a time when it makes more sense, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Um, now, talk, talking about uh, your your reaching out on Facebook, one of the reasons why we connected was because you've had a lot of success on Facebook. As th- th- this was one of the reasons why, at least based on what you told me, was one of the reasons why your business has become much more successful. Tell us a little bit more about this. Tell us about what I guess business slash life was like prior to you spending much uh, investment into Facebook ads, and now what is it like today? Sure. Yeah. So uh, when I started out in 2013, um, I really didn't have a ton of sales. (laughs) Um, In fact, I I launched on March 1st and my first stranger sale didn't happen until March 30th. So I went like a whole month without really anything. I think my best friend bought for me and my mother-in-law bought something. Mm -hmm. Um, But then my first sale came... um, from a woman in New Brunswick. I'll never forget her name was Margaret. Um, and I was so excited. So, um, and she actually was part of my Facebook group. Uh, you know, she had somehow found me on Facebook and then from there went to my store. Um, so in like 2013, I didn't focus too much on my store just because I had another baby. Um, so I was kind of busy with that, but then, um, 2014 went by and I was still not getting very many sales. Like it was like a celebration every time I got a sale. Uh, so in uh, 2015, um, I started actively doing Facebook ads. And I had actually listened to a podcast um, on your on your um, 
show with Darn Good Yarn, Mm -hmm. and she had talked about how she spent, um, I think it was like five bucks a day on Facebook ads, and that had really been a successful thing for her. So I was like, hey, that's that's simple. I spend five bucks a day probably on coffee. Um, So I started just doing the same thing, and it was amazing um, how, how much that generated just awareness about my store and how that automatically started translating into sales. Um, you know, it, it basically, like my sales went, uh, it was like four times, uh, my sales were like four times what they were the, like the previous few months. So it just, it was crazy. Like I, my first year I started out with, like, I think it was 12,000 in sales for the year. Um, and then after I started doing my Facebook ads, my sales jumped up to 44,000. Um, so it was like a pretty big, pretty big jump for me, which was really exciting. Um, and every, every time I stopped the ads, um, my sales would sort of dry up. So, um, it really, there was really no method to it. I would just basically set a budget of five bucks a day and created the ads using the Facebook ad creator and then away I would go. So, um, and then from there, my sales just like kept creeping up higher and higher and higher and higher. And just, um, you know, even today I've increased to $6 a day, (laughs) but um, it's like, it's super helpful in terms of, um, keeping my sales going. And it's also, you know, um, given me an outlet to launch new products. When I have new stuff coming in, I have like, I've got over 12,000 people that are part of my Facebook page now. Um, And I've kind of played around with, you know, um, pointing them to my store or pointing them to just like my page um, like I've just kind of played around with different things to get them to go to different places. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been super helpful. So yeah, my sales went like doubled right away. And then they, um, by the end of the year, they had quadrupled. And then, um, now I've doubled my sales from last year. So, um, it's really one of those things I can't afford not to do anymore. Nice. So you said about 40,000 after uh, running the ads and now doubled that uh, by the end of this past year? Yes, doubled that by nice. 2016. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to double it again for 2017, if possible. Yeah, so look, let's break this down a little bit. So you listen to this podcast episode with Darn Good Yarn, great episode, definitely recommend anybody go check it out. And you decide, let me give this a shot. What was the, like, did you just create any random ad and do any random targeting? Like, how did you go about finding, I guess, a winning ad for your business? Yeah, so it took a lot of tweaking, and it's something that I, I can, continuously am tweaking. But I had a pretty good idea of who my demo was. And Facebook is great with that. Like, I mean, you can um, you can target really anybody you want. So I targeted women um, between the ages of like 20 and 65. Um, and I'm I'm kind of lucky just because my customer is on Facebook 
um, my customers are very crafty people who um, love sewing. Um, a lot of them are Etsy store owners who are buying fabric mm-hmm. to make, you know, um, whatever they make that they sell on Etsy, like some little small business type of people, people who work for craft shows, um, who are, who also have small businesses, kind of like hobby businesses on the side making stuff. So, um, I, I definitely knew my, my demo was on Facebook and I knew sort of like the age group. So I focused in on just women between those ages, um, and then put in keywords that I knew would go with that group. You say keywords. You talk about words in the the copy of the ad itself, or you mean like one of your targeting, choosing your targeting? Yeah, like when I was choosing my targeting, like you can choose tag words. I think, or they're I think they're called keywords, um, but they're kind of like tags that are within the Facebook targeting. Um, so I just chose like around eight or ten tags that would would sort of represent who my demo are like quilting or quilts or small business mom bloggers. Um, you know, I was just trying to reach as many people as I could, um, like mompreneurs, um, those, those tag words seem to really help me. Um, and, um, yeah, that was basically all of the targeting that I did. And then it was, choosing images that were um, pleasing to the eye. You know, I would pick like fabrics that I knew are popular. Um, and, you know, over time, even since I started doing this, which was only two years ago, um, the Facebook ad advertising, um, the the Facebook ads now are much better. Like you can do video. I've got like a video one going that is, um, generated tons of shares and likes and um, people coming to my site and converting. So, um, yeah, like it's, it's sort of been um, an evolution of the ad, but I basically kept the same one going for the last couple of years. You haven't changed up the, I guess you haven't had to refine the, the, the advertising that you're doing at all. Like you just set it up once, two years ago, and it hasn't needed to be changed much since. Not really, uh, not not really the targeting, but you know the copy I've sort of refined over the years, and and then the images as well. Like I'll swap new ones in and out just to keep it fresh, um, and then I've added in sort of like different copy here and there if you know I'm I've got something new going on. Um, in addition to that ad, which is sort of like my my general ad. I'll also do ads here and there if I'm trying to push things. So if I have new um, fabric coming in or, you know, a really hot fabric that I know that people are going to be into, um, I'll do an ad for that. Or like around Christmas time, I do like a separate ad that's like promoting gift cards or um, promoting certain things that I want to push or if I'm having a special sale or something like that. So I always kind of have my general ad, which is like the $6 a day, um, a la darn good yarn. Um, but, uh, then I also have more targeted ads that are specific to, um, like whatever I have going on mm-hmm. at the time. Now, how do you um, refine the copy? How have you done that over time? Like, what do you, what have you learned about the copy since you first started versus, you know, almost two years later? 
I think it's just sort of just experience looking at other people's ads, um, just being more experienced with the business and what resonates with people, um, you know, even like changing things up on my own site and then, you know, wanting to reflect that in my Facebook ads. Um, I just feel like it's like when you have an online store, it's like this sort of like evolutionary thing that just continue. It's just like mm-hmm. an organic being that is constantly changing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's what I mean by refining it. Like how I, how I explain what my store is to people. And can you give an example? Like what did you, I guess, how did you talk about your business or talk about the ad or talk about the products when you first started versus how you talk about it today? I think at the beginning I was probably a lot more salesy um, and had maybe less of a personality behind um, the ad copy um, or was just like way more straightforward about it. Um, and the way I used to explain my, myself online was like that I'm an, a Canadian online fabric store offering, you know, designer fabrics. Um, I still kind of explain myself that way, but I've dropped the Canadian. I, you know, I, I, I because I just feel that I'm an online store. So really I'm not, I don't need to be, pigeonholed into being a Canadian online store and just like an online store. So I don't know, just like removing some words that just would, you know, stand out and bother me later on. Um, just having a lot more fun with the copy and, um, be, you know, having more of a brand or personality behind it. Um, I think that just comes with experience and like feeling more comfortable with the platform. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense to be because whenever you're on Facebook, uh, you are reading comments, personal comments, personal messages from your friends and you know acquaintances. And if you come across something that breaks that kind of, uh, not convention, but breaks that kind of pattern, it's very clear that it's an ad and people won't take the, the people might just kind of gloss over it. But when you have some kind of personality and approach it in a much more personable uh, way, I guess more intimate way, I think it, it flows much more nicely into the, the context of the ad, like where the ad is actually being placed, which is on Facebook. Um, now, what mm, about the, exactly. Now, what about the images? Like, how have you? How do you choose what images to to put place in your ads? Um, well, I do a lot of curated um, fabric bundles. So, um, and I take a lot of those kinds of photos just for my. I take all my photos myself of my fabric and like the fabric bundles that I put together. Um, so I you and I have a. a a pretty decent following on Instagram as well, where I post a lot of these photos. So, um, I, my mostly use photos of like my bundles. Um, and, and then I like, I'll throw in a couple of photos of, I've taken some photos of myself just as part of the brand, because even though my fabric is, um, very much the store, um, I've created sort of the brand a little bit around myself and just sort of who I am. Like I've been very personal with um, how I tell my story and um, who I am. So I feel like I am very much the brand as well. And people just based on my experience on Facebook and engaging with the people who are part of my page um, 
And because it's just me running this business, like it's, it's a very kind of personal thing. And I feel like I've, people know who I am, if that makes any sense. Like they know that I'm a mom and that I have two kids and that, you know, this is a small business and I built it kind of from the ground up by myself. And um, so telling that story um, really helps resonate with my audience because a lot of my audience are also young moms who, you know, might have a small hobby business and they're working full time or they're stay at home moms and they're, you know, ha- they have a small Etsy shop or something like that. Or they're just like hobby sewers who um, have a thing for fabric, just like I do. So I feel like we just, um, it's a really easy way to um, get in touch with the customer and be really personal. And so uh, back to your question about the, uh, the Facebook ads, I really try to bring that piece into the ads as well to just make it a little bit more more personal um, and easy to engage with rather than sort of boring and you know kind of more canned mm-hmm. more like a canned message now when you when you're testing no that, that makes a lot of sense I think I, uh, I feel like I went off onto like a bit of a tangent and no, no, it goes back to your to the theme about why you want to be personal in your in your ads, not just in the copy, but then also apparently in the images too. I never considered that, but that makes a lot of sense because again, people aren't posting corporate looking photos from their personal Facebook pages. So you shouldn't try to do that either because then it becomes very evident that it's an ad and you know people just might have a, a negative reaction to to that versus if you saw like a personal, much more personalized, much, much more I guess intimate photo that <clears throat> that you might be posting of you, what your life is like as a as an entrepreneur, um, and then also mm-hmm. a mom. Uh, mm-hmm. so when you are running these these ads and you're trying new copy out or new images out, do you, I guess, test them out? Like, do you run some and then turn off, uh, like run 10 or whatever, and then turn off like half of them if they don't perform? Like, do you have a testing process for this? You know what? I really don't. <laughs> sounds like everything's just been very successful for you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, it could very well be that there are some images running that aren't working, but I don't, I'm really not like an analytics kind of person. Um, so it's kind of like, I just go with it and I hope it works. And if it, if I don't feel like it's working, then I'll just stop it and I'll do something else. Um, but I don't really analyze the data and I, um, I feel like I, I could probably be more successful if I did. Um, but I just, A, really have, don't have time for it. Um, and B, I'm just not interested, uh, in that. Right. aspect of the business you know what I mean so um I'll run things and based on what I'm seeing I think that they're um going well my numbers are con- are continuously going up so um you know if I all of a sudden saw like a dramatic decrease then I would think something's going on but yeah no I just kind of go with it and then I'll change it up when I feel like I'm sick of seeing those images Right now, you mentioned video ads. Something you're doing new. What, what's uh, what do yeah. you include in these video ads? Um, so the video ads um, are basically kind of like a slideshow. Um, that's what I've got running now. But it's it's cool because like Facebook 
kind of like integrates it all with music. So you can pick like the song that you want to play. That's like a can song within Facebook, but, um, and then it, you, you pick your own images and then you kind of manipulate them around to show like how you want them to, to move through the carousel. Um, so those ads have been doing really well for me. Um, and that one, I don't plan on changing anytime soon. I mean, I'll probably have to change it in a few months just because pictures of the fabric is going to get kind of stale, but, um, people seem to really love that moving ad. Um, and it shows up in the newsfeed as well. Like it doesn't just show up on the sidebar, like it shows up in the actual feed. So I'm getting all new customers and new likes from that. Um, so those ones are really good. I highly recommend, um, working with the, the video ads if you can. All right. Makes sense. Um, now you, you mentioned that you increased from $5 to $6 recently. Uh, what makes you yeah. not just say, let me throw <laughs> like 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 a day at this. If it appears to be obviously correlated with the, the sales that happen from you running these Facebook ads. Yeah, like, I just have to be really careful with how much money I spend, that's all. Like, I really kind of bootstrapped this business um, because I ended up quitting my my actual job um, that I was working in before. So I just had to be, um, I just had to be really careful with, like, how much I'm spending because I'm, like, buying fabric plus, like, how much money I'm going to spend on advertising plus how much money I'm spending on, like, apps and other things that I'm using plus my store plus shipping. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things, variables that I have to consider when it comes to spending money. And then right now, $6 a day to me is worth it. Um, mm-hmm. And chances are, like, if I doubled that, you know, like, they're always, Facebook is always pushing you to be like, if you spend $12 a day, you know, you'll reach X amount of people. So you should try that. And sometimes, sure, it's like, it's really, um, you know, enticing to do that. But for now, I just need to stick with it. Um, And I feel like it is working for me. And because I'm spending it every day, it works out to like 300 and something bucks a month. So, um, but it is a cheap way of generating um, interest for sure and getting right. people to know that you and all that stuff. Makes sense. Awesome. So thanks so much for your time, Alana. Again, fridaysoff.ca is the website. Um, anywhere else you recommend listeners go and check out they want to follow along with what you're up to? Well, yeah, you can follow me on Facebook at Fridays Off Fabric Shop. Um, I'm also on Instagram as Fridays Off. And um, I have an email newsletter that you can sign up for on my website. Um, so those are, those are my main areas to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Alana. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Before we end this episode, we actually have a bonus segment. Alana and I spoke a bit after the podcast, and she wanted to share some more of her experience with growing a subscription program and using Facebook groups for her subscription program. So we hit the record button and spoke some more. Enjoy. So tell us a little bit more about the subscription program you have running for your store. Sure. So I started um, a subscription program where I curate fat quarter bundles of fabric every month for subscribers. So fat quarters are just like cuts of fabric that quilters typically use to like cut up and make clothes. Um, So I started off with two um, products where I give a six 
piece bundle and a 12 piece bundle uh, on a monthly basis to subscribers. So I started that in September 2015 with the goal of really just offloading fabric because I wasn't getting the kind of traffic and sales that I, I needed to like move through my inventory quickly. So I just started it kind of as a way to just offload stuff and it became pretty successful right off the start. And um, now kind of like three years later, I'm, or actually two years later, I'm actually having to order fabric specifically for my club. Whereas before it was like, it, the whole thing is kind of turned on its head a little bit, but it's, just, it's a good problem to have. It just requires a little bit more planning on my part for purchasing inventory and stuff like that. Now, when you're launching your subscription and growing your subscription program, do you have to change up your marketing to attract subscribers versus more of the one-off a la carte customers? Yeah, so I do. Um, I kind of have like a running ad, Facebook ad. So like, like I mentioned before, I do the $6 a day Facebook ads like on an ongoing basis, basis with just like, it's just like for my regular store. But then I also will periodically put out um, ads that just focus on my club. Um, and that's kind of like when I'm trying to get new subscribers. Um, another marketing tactic that I use is uh, once a year, of, like throughout the month of December, I open up a gift subscription. So it's only one time a year that I allow people to do this, but they can purchase like a three month, six month or 12 month gift subscription for themselves or for like a loved one or whatever. Um, and then that kind of gives people a taste of if they, if it's something that they've been like kind of eyeing, they can kind of get a taste of it and then subscribe once their gift subscription is over. Um, but I only run that once a year just because I find it difficult to like logistically having like the gift subscribers and I, I need like a start date for them or else I think it would be really confusing um, on a monthly basis. Um, so those are the ways that I kind of market that, but I always include it in my email newsletter, just like a reminder. I have a banner on my site that specifically talks about the club Um so it's pretty, it's, it's pretty much all over the place in terms of like my own site and what I do in terms of like creating content. Um, and then I also post the bundles, the photos of the bundles that are going out on a monthly basis on my Facebook page. So when I put the bundles together and ship it out, I'll post the photo as sort of like, get ready for your happy mail is coming you know, these items have been shipped. So that's really cool too, because it creates a lot of excitement among my Facebook group and the people in it. And um, I find that encourages people to sign up if it's something that they're into. Um, and then just recently, I started a Fabric Addict Facebook group, which is completely separate from the Friday's Off Facebook page but it's just exclusively for people who are part of Le Club, which is what the subscription group is called. So um, my goal with this is to have them engage amongst themselves because I was having a lot of people emailing me asking, you know, what are people doing with this fabric? What are people making? Um, you know, I'd love to see photos. And like 
like people will send me photos of stuff sometimes that I don't get it up on the site. So I thought this would be a great arena for people who are part of the club to share photos and talk amongst themselves about the kinds of projects that they're making. And so far it's been um, fairly successful. Like I've got, I think about a third of my subscribers in the group, um, but it's growing and I'm hoping that eventually they'll start engaging amongst themselves and I won't have to, administer a lot of questions and get people talking so that's kind of exciting too yeah definitely want to talk about the facebook group in a second i think one of the great things you're doing with this subscription program is that you're building this anticipation for the program and by doing that it attracts new members to join because they might feel like they're missing out by not being part of the program and also keeps existing subscribers excited to continue to pay to continue to see what's coming in the upcoming month you can't just lock the customers into a subscription program and expect them to stick around. You have to actively keep them excited for, about the program. And the other thing is the community because it's not just about getting the product to the customer. It's not just about getting a physical product to them because they can just get that a la carte. You have to add in some additional benefits to being a part of the subscription program, to be part of this club, as you call it, by building this community. So definitely want to talk about that in a second. But back to the subscription program, do you offer different types of products or do the subscribers want different products compared to the a la carte customers? Um, Well, these, I mean, the the subscribers that I have are primarily quilters. Um, so they do like the smaller cuts and I don't really offer fat quarters in my store. So, um, unless you email me separately and say, you know, geez, I really want this fabric, but a half a meter is too much for me. Can you create a custom bundle? So, um, like I do kind of one-off stuff, but if you're just a regular person going to my store, it's hard for you to buy the fat quarters. So I think, um, that's the benefit of being part of the club is you get access to, my entire inventory and then I create these bundles on a monthly basis. So chances are you're going to end up with like almost not everything, but a lot of the stuff that I carry in my store, you're going to end up in your fabric stash. So um, that's definitely one of the benefits. Um, Just this month I created a half meter club. Um, I don't have any subscribers yet because I literally like put it up on the site this week. Um, but it is something that people have been asking me because I do have some subscribers who aren't necessarily quilting with it, but they're Etsy store owners who are making dolls clothing or, you know, little makeup bags or pouches or stuff like that. And they just need more fabric than the small 18 by 22 inch cut, which is the fat quarter. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I haven't added anything new yet since I started this. So um, I'm excited to see if that grows or, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You just have to try it and see what happens. What's the breakdown between the revenue generated from the subscription program versus your a la carte customers? So I've got over a hundred subscribers right now. And so it represents about a quarter of my monthly sales. Um, so right now the lion's share of my sales comes from the a la carte orders, which is just, you know, people buying fabric. Um, but having that, you know, quarter percent of my sales on a monthly basis is awesome just for like generating, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for that. That's guaranteed cash flow, right? Yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. So 
that's super helpful for me because um, as I've mentioned before, like I carry a pretty large inventory. So I have a lot of expenses on a monthly basis. So knowing that I'm going to get that money every month is like really huge for me because um, I need that recurring income to kind of stay afloat. Now, how do you stay on top of all of this? What kind of apps, tools, services, or processes do you use? Yeah, so it's it's getting to be a very difficult process. I do use Recharge, which is an app that you can buy in the Shopify app store. Um, and it's it's a seamless transaction. So, I mean, when, you, when you're the customer signing up for the club, it's just like you're making an order on the site. And then on the back end for me, um, I receive the order, but Recharge does everything. Like, you know, they put it all into like an Excel spreadsheet. So all I have to do is like download an Excel spreadsheet, do a mail merge, print my labels, and then I have to cut and fold and stuff all of the, the envelopes, which is, you know, the, the lion's share of the work. Um, but I have someone that helps me with that. So the two of us get together and we just hammer them all out and, and off they go to for shipping, but it is a it's a pretty giant process because I have about 120 subscribers. Now, how do you curate your subscription program? Because it's a little bit harder than the a la carte customers, right? Because a la carte customers, they're actively picking the products they want, adding it to their cart, they're buying it. Talk to us about your your thought process when you are curating a subscription. Well, right now it's basically what I have in stock. So if I've got um, you know, tons of tons of these particular fabrics in stock, and I try to just match them up as best I can. Um, it's it's becoming a little bit more daunting, and um, I just kind of curate them based on my own like artistic eye and you know how I'm feeling. I they're all they're usually like color coordinated or coordinated by designer. Um, but so far, so good. I think um, the reason, partly the reason why my club is so successful is um, because I just have an eye for putting fabrics together and colors together and different patterns. Um, so sometimes I think people are, you know, they're part of a club because they just like the, the bundles that I put together. Um, and usually if people aren't into it, they'll, you know, subscribe for a couple of months and then they'll just write me a note and say, I can't be, I don't like it or something like that. But I rarely get somebody complaining about what I've sent them. So that's good. Um, but most recently I've had to start just buying specifically for the club. So if I see stuff that I know is popular, then I'll just buy extra of that and say, okay, I'm going to save half of this for the club and I'll put the rest of it in the store. Um, and I've also been doing it for two years. So I kind of know what people are looking for um, just by trends and going on blogs and being part of like sewing Facebook groups and stuff like that. So I kind of know what people want. I also make a big point of using like new products as part of the subscription because I want it to be like a premium club feeling. So, you know, there's a lot of like these kinds of fabric clubs out there, but people are stuffing it with sale items, you know, uh, old fabric lines. Um, yeah. So 
Um, I think part of the reason why mine has been successful too is like, you know, you may get a bundle in March that has um, a fabric collection that released two months ago. So um, I think you're really getting the feeling that the person behind the club or the person that's creating the product cares about, you know, what you're getting. You don't want to get old ugly colors and stuff like that. You want to get the good stuff. And and that's what I've really put forward through my site and like just through my Instagram feed and Facebook. And, um, you know, people look forward to their bundles and look forward to getting those pictures. So I think, you know, in a a long version, that's kind of how I put everything together. Yeah, that exclusivity is definitely a selling point for access to a subscription program like this concerns entrepreneurs have is that it's kind of a desert to start, right? There's nobody in there just yet. Talk to us about your process to kick off your Facebook group and how you filled it up with content. Um, well, I put out, um, I, I basically put out a call out on my Fridays off Facebook page um, with a link to the group, just saying, you know, if you're a member of, of the club, um, here's a, an area where you can swap fabric, talk about your projects that you're working on, you know, compare projects that you're working on with fabrics from the club. So I put a call out through that and that generated a pretty decent response. And then I have an email news like, or an email list that's just specifically for the club. So I put it out to them as well. Um, so those are two ways that I was able to, you know, generate, um, people, coming and signing up to be part of the club. But then I had a lot of people who were trying to get in who were not, you know, um, subscribers. So that's kind of a difficult situation too, because you don't want to turn people away and make it seem so exclusive. So some of the people who are part of the group are just former customers, but I thought, you know, maybe it's a good way to get them excited about the club and maybe they're joining because they're thinking about it and they're on like, they're on the fence. One thing that I've seen be successful is that by having your your loyal customers, the people that are part of the subscription program, mingling with people that are maybe just one-time buyers that haven't bought it all yet, uh, very curious or very excited to buy the the products from you or even enroll in the subscription program for the first time. Yeah, definitely. And even recently when I decided I wanted to do this half-dash subscription, I went to the group, which only has, I think, like 35 members right now, but... I kind of look at them as like my focus group and people that I can confide in about like, what should I bring in? What, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of these colors? What did you think of last month's full stash? You know, did you like the colors? So I get like some pretty decent feedback from them. And when I wanted to launch the half stash, you know, I was kind of on the fence on like how many pieces would I put in this half stash? So I went to the group and asked them like, how many would you want? And they gave me some some great feedback that I ended up using um, when I went ahead and launched this new product. So um, I'm definitely excited. Like it's a very new group still, so it's super fresh, but I'm excited to see like where, where they take me and, you know, the kinds of stuff that we can do together. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.